2: Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union, our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And
0: I'm Joe McCormick. And Robert, I got a question for you. Hit me with it. What wild animal do you most associate with American founding icon Benjamin Franklin? Oh, it's got to be
1: the turkey. It had that whole song about it, right, in 1776? Oh, yeah. Were you in 1776? Did you play Ben Franklin? I played Thomas Jefferson okay. in a uh, community uh, theater performance of it. Yes. That's that's who I was. but so, yeah, I,
0: you got to be the boring guy without a sense of humor.
1: Yes, but with, with bright red hair. That was the main appeal. <laughs> and uh, um, Ben Franklin was played uh, by a local attorney named uh, Ray Fraley. Ray Fraley. Yeah, no, he did, Ray Fraley. Did, Ray, Fraley. Yeah, Ray he, Fraley. yeah, he did a he, wonderful job. So yeah. I'm glad I had the part I had. I was more suited for just uh, red-haired and kind of boring, uh, uh, you know, Timmy Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> Timmy. <laughs> Timmy, yeah,
0: he is kind of a Timmy in that, isn't he? He like he there are scenes where he plays the violin, right? Did you play the violin? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. I remember scenes where I was pretending to write and wad up paper. Uh, okay, oh, sorry, we got sidetracked here. But there is a song in there where Benjamin Franklin he suggests that the U.S. national bird should not be the tur- should not be the eagle and should not be the dove, but should be the turkey because it is a most majestic bird. And I found no evidence that Franklin. Actually, suggested that the national bird should be the turkey. But <laughs> Franklin was all about some turkeys, especially was all about killing turkeys, and especially was all about killing turkeys with his favorite technological toys, the Leyden jar. Uh, we we've talked before in our episodes about the early days of electricity, about that uh that barbecue Franklin hosted where he wanted to kill turkeys with uh, with electrical shocks and then roast them with an electrical jack <laughs> and then uh and and I guess I don't know char their skin with electrical fire from a bottle. It was a rousing affair, I'm sure, because Franklin. Franklin actually ended up electrocuting – or not electrocuting, but he shocked himself very badly.
1: See, why isn't this our Thanksgiving tradition? It we should have a be. Big, uh, <laughs> big turkey electrocution every year.
0: Wait, a lot of people use electric stoves. I guess that's kind of close. Yeah, but
1: it's not quite as, as shocking.
0: Right. You should be getting the jumper cables and going out to the yard with a <laughs> gobbler. <laughs> yeah. No pardon for you.
1: All right, so if the if the turkey wasn't his favorite animal, uh what prey tell was it?
0: Well, who knows if it was actually his favorite animal, but the animal I now most associate with Ben Franklin is the squirrel. Wow. Ah. Because Robert, did you know that Benjamin Franklin carried a squirrel across the ocean to Europe?
1: No, I did not know about this.
0: He had a pet squirrel named Mungo. <laughs> And yes, this is all true. Benjamin Franklin had a pet squirrel named Mungo that he kept in a cage. They got killed by a dog named Ranger there. And he wrote a letter to Georgiana Shipley in 1772 where where he said, I lament with you most sincerely the unfortunate end of poor Mungo. Few squirrels were better accomplished for he had had a good education, had traveled far and seen
1: much of the world. In other words, I, I put, it, put him in a cage and carried him uh, on a on – a, <laughs> I don't know, an oceanic journey.
0: There are some ironies in this story Mm -hmm. that we can tease out in a second. In fact, Benjamin Franklin wrote a poem of lament. It was like an (laughs) elegy for poor Mungo. I wonder if we should do a reading of this poem for Mungo. What do you think?
1: Well, I don't really have a good uh, Benjamin Franklin voice. Neither do I. But I can give it a shot. Alas, poor Mungo, happy worth thou, hadst thou known thy own felicity. Remote from the fierce bald eagle, tyrant of thy native woods, thou hadst not to fear from his piercing talons, nor from the murdering gun of the thoughtless sportsman safe in his wired castle. Grimalkin never could annoy thee. Grimalkin, of course, is uh, the witch's familiar,
0: the cat from Macbeth. I ah. think is also just a word for a cat. Uh, but yeah, so... Continues, daily wert thou fed with choicest viands by the fair hand of an indulgent mistress. But, discontented, thou wouldst have more freedom too soon, alas! Didst thou obtain it, and wandering, fell by the merciless fangs of wanton, cruel ranger? Learn hence, ye who blindly wish for more liberty, whether subjects, sons, squirrels, or daughters, that apparent restraint may be real protection, yielding peace, Plenty and security. You see how much more decent and proper this broken style, interrupted as it were with size, is for the occasion than if one were to say, by way of epitaph, Here skug lies snug as a bug in a rug. SkuG is an antiquated word for squirrel. <laughs>
1: But bet you didn't know that one either. I didn't. But, you know, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, by by the time we're done with this special two-part exploration of the squirrel, uh, I think some people are going to adopt "scug" as an appropriate uh, um, uh, bit of terminology for these strange furry creatures that – for many of us, fill our backyards and our lives.
0: Robert, I am so excited to talk about squirrels for two whole episodes because I would never have imagined there were two episodes worth of
1: startling squirrel knowledge. And oh boy, is there. Yeah, there is. But before anybody thinks, I'll skip the squirrels. No, 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 no. Stick with the squirrels because some of this information is shocking. It will change the way you see the squirrel. The squirrels are not what they seem. (laughs) You're right about that. They are not. Yeah, this is not just going to be like two episodes of squirrel minutia. This is going to be episodes that redefine what these animals are and what they are up to in uh, your immediate environment.
0: They may shake your faith in the
1: goodness of the world around you. Right. You know, well, one thing that uh, that I've, I've noticed about the squirrel is that, of course, for many of us, the squirrel is everywhere like like how often do you see squirrels joe
0: yeah you see them more than any non-human animal who is not your pet probably mm-hmm. i mean depending on where you live but at least we we do
1: yeah, like with us, they're constantly scurrying around our yard and on our fence. Uh, we have a number of bird feeders that we that, that my family we like to when we're, we're having breakfast or dinner together. We like to watch the birds uh, out there, and of course the squirrels come. You can't keep squirrels away uh, from a bird feeder in the same way you can't keep squirrels out of out of a garden. You can try, but they are tenacious. They have an
0: insatiable mammalian quality, a a mammalian vitality that the birds just do not have. Even though we we love birds and we've explored, you know, when, uh, when you put a bird feeder out, you wonder why the squirrels always seem to take it over. And it does seem to have something to do with their mammalian craftiness. And that's despite the fact that birds are often craftier than we expect.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it is, I, I root for the birds, though, when the birds drive the squirrels away. But then the squirrels are just going to get in there and also have their, uh, their meal as well. Um, another thing that I always notice about the squirrels is that, yeah, for, for many of us, we, we barely notice, the, notice them anymore. Yeah. And we're certainly not really – we don't get hung up over their cuteness. Though uh, they do have like large kind of cute eyes, yes, and they have big fluffy tails. They're not a chipmunk. A chipmunk is, I think, uh, objectively cute – uh, whereas the squirrel is a little larger and a little more grotesque and a little more like a, a tree rat.
0: Uh, there's a reason the rescue rangers are not squirrels. I mean, <laughs> they'd just be less cute that way. Yeah.
1: But uh, but one thing I notice is that when you have people who are not accustomed to squirrels suddenly encountering them, uh, tourists from afar, they'll, they're just totally won over by these scurrying creatures and they're pointing at them. And then, of course, they, uh, they may give in to the temptation to feed them, which means if you go to a, a place like uh, the Grand Canyon, where you know you have you have tourists from around the world coming to, to see this natural uh, uh, landscape, this just this truly inspiring uh, scene to behold. It, people are also going to encounter the squirrels. They're going to end up feeding the squirrels even though everyone tells them not to. And then you have situations uh, like the one my wife and I encountered on a hike into the Grand Canyon where we sat down for a second. We're going to share some, some snack mix and then the squirrel comes and the squirrel starts climbing on us on our bodies. Bodies to get to the snack mix because it's become so accustomed to eating food given to it by humans. Uh, it was just absolutely terrifying, especially when you watch like, the flea jump off of its uh, nose. It's only a matter of time till they can pull a switchblade on you. Exactly. They are, like, they are, they are tenacious. And you, sh- and you feed them at your peril, especially if there are they're, you know, lots of uh, drop-offs that you could plummet from. And that's not even getting into disease issues. I apologize. I was ranting a little bit. I've, I've no, been, no, no, no. Uh, please rant on. <laughs> I've been ranting about them a bit uh, as my family watches the bird feeder as well to the, the point that my, my son told me recently. He, uh, he's, uh, he's six years old and he, he said, actually, dad, uh, the squirrel is the king of the rats. <laughs> Which um, I disagree with. I, I think the rats are truly the king of the rats. They've earned that that reputation and they've uh-huh. earned that crown. Uh, yet at the same time, yes, squirrels are incredibly good rats in many respects.
0: Well, there are many respects throughout, especially mythology, but in human history, where there is some correlation between level of authority and physical altitude. Mm-hmm. And so, if the squirrels are in the trees above the rats, that would seem to signal that they are the lords of the rat world, and the rats. On the ground below must do their bidding. That's right. They have the height advantage. The squirrels are the wizards up in their ivory towers and the rats are the peasants, the, you know,
1: thank you, Lord, kind of guys who go out and, and do what they're told. But yet there is an honesty in the rat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we look at the rat and sometimes we, we judge the rat too harshly. It's true. But when you look at a rat and you know what the rat does, the squirrel, however, as we will explore in these episodes, the squirrel is not what it seems. The squirrel has managed to, uh, to pull one over on us. So by now you may be going, OK, what is this secret squirrel
0: knowledge? <laughs> I've been pro- I, I want the squirrel gnosis. Let me into this religion. So I guess we should pave the way to divulge that knowledge. So yes. let's to- enter the kingdom of the scugs. <laughs> so what are what is a good scug? What, what is a scug at its most basic nature? Squirrels are a family of rodents. Specifically, they comprise the taxonomic family scuridae. And that includes ground squirrels, tree squirrels, marmots, chipmunks,
1: flying squirrels, and a few other varieties. This also includes the so-called Oriental giant squirrels, uh, the the black giant squirrel, the Indian giant squirrel, the grizzled giant squirrel. <laughs> That's real? Grizzled? Yeah. And uh, the likely extinct cream-colored giant squirrel. Uh, many additional varieties roamed in prehistoric times uh, – And plus, this family also includes groundhogs and prairie dogs.
0: But when most people refer to squirrels, they're probably going to be talking about common varieties, most often of the tree squirrel and the ground squirrel. And so these are the varieties we're going to be talking about most in this episode. And so squirrels are found all over the world. They're native to every continent except Antarctica and Australia, but of course, humans – tend to take their rodents with them where they go. So humans introduced squirrels to Australia, and now they're everywhere on Earth except Antarctica. So I I think maybe we've been burying the lead. We should not bury the lead. Part one of this uh, two-part exploration... One of the main things you're going to learn is that you have probably been too trusting of squirrels. (laughs) If you were like I was, I used to look out at the squirrels of my yard and think about them like Benjamin Franklin's poor mungo, This, this victim, this poor little victim creature that could be eaten by a dog and was a harmless, sweet little herbivore gathering nuts and hiding them and just going about a peaceful life without ever bothering anybody else. But the fact that blew my mind is that squirrels are not in fact strictly herbivores.
1: Some not very strictly at all. That's right, and uh, and I and I have to say, uh, right before we s- we actually researched this episode, I ha- I had this revel- revelation as well uh, through uh, the, the the bird feeders that we put out because one of the things we put out in addition to you know a few different types of bird seed aimed at particular birds, uh, we also put out mealworms. Mm-hmm. You know, these dried uh, dried out worms, like you would feed chickens, and and birds generally love them as well. But then we started noticing that the squirrels would just eat the ever loving hell out of those mealworms we uh-huh. fill up this little cup and this, you know squirrel would come and you know, surreptitiously eat one and or, you know grab one, get to a place where it could be on the lookout for hawks or whatnot, and then go down and get another one, and then eventually give up on any pretense of uh, looking out for hawks and just <laughs> just go face down into a uh, this cup of mealworms and just eat absolutely all of them. Uh-huh. And we were a little astounded because we were like, I had we I had no idea that that uh, that squirrels eat meat, but clearly these squirrels really love mealworms.
0: Well, you know, I might not have predicted that but at least mealworms I look at that okay I'm like eh, it's a worm I guess yeah. maybe a lot of things might eat a worm right right I, I don't know it's it's like that's like the cracked corn of the animal kingdom
1: right yeah it's there you eat it it, it makes sense all right so maybe they're not strictly uh, herbivores you know they're 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 omnivores that will that will eat a worm here and there but uh, subsequent uh, reading has uh, has revealed that uh, that it goes far beyond mealworms uh, <laughs> They'll eat insects, reptiles, birds, and mammalian flesh if they get a chance. Gray squirrels and eastern chipmunks are noted nest raiders. Gray squirrels will even eat each other, it seems. Squirrels are also capable of killing adult birds uh even the, the the cute chipmunk again the objectively cute chipmunk is a natural born killer as studies have found uh, meat in upwards of 75% of chipmunks surveyed
0: meat in them not just in their bodies like they are in the are belly meat. now that sounds so crazy that makes me think wait a minute are are we just dealing with like uh like urban legend kind of observations here. Like I've read stories that I don't believe about squirrel attacks. Like the idea
1: that squirrels will will take down deer and kill them. That's right. According to a 2014 Popular Science article, the tufted ground squirrel of Borneo is said to wait on a low branch for passing deer and then jump out onto them and bite the jugular vein. And once the deer is bled to death from this bite, the squirrel disembowels the deer and eats the contents of the stomach as well as the heart and the liver. Uh, and I do want to just drive home. This is not – this is far from any kind of a verified observation. This is very much uh, – seems to be in the realm of of, lo- of urban legends. This account was told by local hunters who find the remains of the squirrel slaughtered deer and then uh, – Supposed squirrel Supposed, yeah. alleged uh, squirrel slaughtered deer. And then they also attest to the hearts and livers uh, uh, having been eaten from domestic chickens. Again, uh, fingers pointed – at uh, the squirrels. This almost reminds me of like the
0: Kappa legend, right? Reaching up through your anus to pull your liver out.
1: Yeah, there, there seems to be a, a lot of making sense or trying to make sense of strange remains, but uh, by making several leaps Uh, in in your logic here, as opposed to saying, well, it was probably some sort of scavenger that came and did that. No, it was probably a ferocious and strategically vicious squirrel. Now,
0: on the other hand, supposedly these squirrels could I mean if you happen to put your finger in their mouth, say they could do some damage.
1: Yeah, the, uh, in fact, the author of that 2014 article, Douglas Maine, points out that those those squirrels do pack uh, quite a fierce bite, and that the giant squirrel Ratufa affinis is known to stalk and prey on birds. Okay, but the idea of a squirrel attacking and taking down an
0: adult deer, I don't know. I I highly skeptical. I, I don't buy it. It sounds like one of those. Kind of hunter legends.
1: Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, of cattle mutilation stories. You know, yeah. someone finds uh, again, uh, someone looks at the remains of an animal. There's something kind of weird look going on, and so you jump to uh, totally Im- implausible explanations, such as an alien. Uh, being performed an autopsy in the middle of a cow field, or <laughs> squirrels are hunting in packs. But how much
0: but, could you really learn in the middle of a cow field? I don't know. It's it's very seems
1: misguided like research.
0: I would think they would want to remove to some kind of sterile environment where they could control all of
1: the autopsy uh, elements. I don't know. But 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 I don't want to lose track of the the important revelation here uh, that we'll get back to, and that is that squirrels do seem to hunt some of the time. Well, we will definitely look at more
0: evidence of that in a minute. But before we do that, we should look at one other apparent, I don't know, rumor, legend kind of thing, Uh, this idea that sometimes squirrels will attack and take down dogs.
1: Yes, I was reading a 2005 BBC article that reported that, uh, that a local Russian media uh, report had indicated that a pack of squirrels bit a stray dog to death in the city of Lazo. Hmm. So again, local Russian media, uh, but here's, here's a gem from the story. Quote, a pine cone shortage may have led the squirrels to seek other food sources, although scientists are skeptical. So in in fact, a, a scientist in the region, one uh, Mikhail uh, Tuyanov, uh, said that while attacking a bird's nest for protein was reasonable behavior for, to expect of a squirrel, chewing a dog to death was, quote, absurd. Uh, in a quote that reads like something from a horror movie poster, uh, he said, quote, if it really happened, things must be pretty bad in our forests.
0: <laughs> I can hear that in the Don LaFontaine voice. Yes. Things must be pretty bad in our forests. <laughs> Wait, that's not Don
1: LaFontaine. Who's that one? I don't know. I don't really know them by name. I'm, so, I, I'm sorry to say.
0: In a world where squirrels chew dogs to death, <laughs> Russian media
1: is the only one brave enough to report. But the thing about these stories is uh, is that yes, I'm 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 not convinced that squirrels are killing deer. I'm not convinced that they are uh, taking down stray dogs. I, I also am skeptical of that. I, I'd wonder though. I mean,
0: maybe if the dog is like. I don't know sick and already almost dead that might be a different kind of thing. Yeah. I, I find it hard to believe that like a pack of squirrels would actually attack
1: a a dog that could move. Exactly. Yeah. But if you but the thing is you start looking around at different uh papers, particularly journal of Mammology papers, mostly from the 20th century, you'll find a number of different papers Uh, That look at carnivorous ground squirrels and carnivorous activity among squirrels, uh, with titles such as "Carnivorous Behavior in the Mexican Ground Squirrel," or "Carnivorous Ground Squirrels on Saint Lawrence Island, Alaska," or "Food Habits of the Antelope Ground Squirrel in Southern Nevada." Also, the Franklin Ground Squirrel and its relationship to nesting ducks. Uh, The the relationship is not a friendly one. (laughs) (laughs) It's complicated. That a 1951 paper, Carnivorous Ground Squirrels on Saint Lawrence Island, Alaska, has some choice descriptions in it. Here, commentating on some some previous research by uh, other uh, investigators. Quote, during his excavations at the old village site of Kukuliak, located a few miles east of the present village of Savunga, he observed some adult ground squirrels eating the old, partially dried, and partially frozen lumps of whale and walrus meat, which we excavated at an approximate depth of eight feet under the surface. What? Yeah. Eating whale and walrus meat. Right. So they didn't bring down these whales, they didn't bring down these walruses, but they were more (laughs) than happy to feast on their like rubbery dried flesh.
0: Also from that paper, there was a part where they were mentioning the work of this previous researcher who reported uh, having seen a ground squirrel, quote, eat a freshly killed mouse, which had been shot by the teacher's son from Savunga. (laughs) So you go
1: shooting mice in Alaska, who knows what's going to happen? All right, let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into my favorite carnivorous squirrel paper that I I ran across in our research. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com.
0: All right, we're back. So before we get into squirrels as predators, I just wanted to mention another uh paper I looked at about squirrels eating meat and this was from the journal of parasitology from 1956 by Roche and other authors called the occurrence of larvae of Trichinella spiralis in Alaskan mammals so this is a paper looking at the prevalence of this parasite of Trichinella spiralis in the mammals of Alaska and Trichinella spiralis is the nematode worm responsible for trichinosis which you may mm. have heard is the you know the reason that you should not eat pork tartare Though not to demonize, a, a lot of pork is much safer these days than it used to be. So some of those uh, fears are based on older older ways of
1: doing things in yeah, food preparation. Yeah, but you're not getting trichinosis eating peanuts.
0: That's true, even if you're a squirrel, in fact. So when the researchers found one ground squirrel and four red squirrels infected with trichinella, which you can only get from eating infected meat – Hmm, what's going on here? Yeah, it's clear what's going on. So, uh, the ground squirrel, the, with the ground squirrel, they say, Although primarily herbivorous, Cetellus undulatus, and that's the ground squirrel they were looking at, also consumes mammalian flesh when available. We have observed this behavior in northeastern Alaska and in the Talkeetna Mountains where remains of voles were found in stomachs and cheek pouches of these squirrels. Such animals feeding upon carcasses of dogs or Arctic foxes would of course be exposed to infection because the dogs and the foxes can get the the worm. Their meat gets in Infected, And then the squirrels go and eat the dead dogs and foxes. Mm. That's pretty messed up. The other one, though, is the red squirrel. How do the red squirrels get them? Quote, We have observed red squirrels feeding upon the flesh of the snowshoe hare carrion, and mammalian bones are often found among the food items stored by these animals for winter use. They no doubt eat any warm-blooded animal they are able to capture and kill. I don't know why they keep the
1: bones though. Why do they keep the bones? Are they going to make soup? What's going to happen? They're going to eat those bones, Joe. <laughs> and and I know this because because um, I because it's mentioned in uh, in this excellent paper that I, I came across from 1993. It was in uh, an edition of the Great Basin Naturalist titled "Squirrels as Predators" by J.R. Callahan.
0: So this is predators. Now, but previously we've been talking. Definitely, about eating carrion, right? Yes. They'll find a dead animal. They'll find dead insects, whatever. They'll definitely eat that. But or here... certainly
1: to eat, say, a worm or a snail for yeah. a creature the size of a squirrel is hardly predation. I mean, if i if I ate a snail, I wouldn't call myself a predator right.
0: But this is but here you're talking
1: about seeking live prey, killing it, and eating it. That's right. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go through some of the major points of this paper, uh, but it's out there. It's, it's obtainable if anyone else wants to, to read it in full. Uh, so he pointed out that squirrels are opportunistic predators that are not morphologically specialized for the role. You, you can see that. They don't have like wolf teeth. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons it's so shocking. Yeah, they don't look like predators. They don't. They don't look like little tree dogs or or uh, some sort of a, a tree cat, you know? Uh, it, it, is, it surprises us to think of them chewing on meat. Well, it's interesting how much this emphasizes
0: sometimes the, the, the flexibility of the animal existence as opposed to other types of existence where an animal might not be evolved to specialize as a predator, but
1: given pressures on its survival and existence, it can adapt. So at the time of this publication uh, – he says that not everyone accepted the idea of frequent squirrel predation, though it was already universally accepted that they do eat meat. Uh, but they were they were just not observed praying all that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of these reports come down to trying to figure out you know, were they just scavenging meat? Were they just eating something that was already dead, or did they, or was it an opportunistic attack? Or were they, in fact, stalking something? How'd you get those voles in your cheek pouches? Exactly. So he he lists the different prey associated with a whole list of squirrel species, and the prey include the following, uh, if but not limited to: birds, frogs, rats, lizards, rabbits, gophers, moles, snakes, fish, voles, ducks. Wild turkeys! Oh, bringing it
0: all back home. Yeah,
1: <laughs> turtles, crabs, and salamanders. <laughs> this is too good.
0: Yeah, squirrels getting wild turkeys, rabbits, salamanders. This is a whole buffet.
1: Yeah, and he said that he wasn't entirely sure if tree squirrels were attacking live prey for meat per se, or for calcium and or phosphorus from the bones. Huh. Uh, but there were there there were also reports of them eating bone and antler, uh, or ignoring meat in favor of joints. Joints, so like they're trying to. Get like cartilage and ligaments and yeah. stuff. Interesting. Yeah, he points out, uh, getting back to the morphology versus the behavior, he says that the, one of the behaviors in tree squirrel seems to be Insinuation predation, which is largely utilized by invertebrates.
0: Yeah, and so insinuation predation would refer to a predator lulling a prey animal into a false sense of security Mm. by appearing harmless and getting itself into an attack position or in close proximity without indicating that it's any kind of threat.
1: The squirrels are not what they see.
0: It's true. They are little spies infiltrating your safe zones just to get into your nest and steal your your wild turkey chicks or something.
1: (laughs) Now, we'll get to the specifics of this in a a second, but uh, we're just talking uh, about them eating bone and antler or ligaments. Other times, they have been observed to focus on, quote, brains, viscera, and the flesh of the head. (laughs)
0: What? Squirrels eating brains?
1: Yes. (laughs) This can't be real. (laughs) It is real. It is very real. Brains. So, uh, we we seem to see – Far more squirrel meat eating and predation in colder climates, and it's, uh, and it's far more rare among tropical species. And uh, Callahan lists some possible reasons for this. So calcium and other nutrients can be obtained from certain tropical tree barks. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in, in, in these cases too, we see these same squirrels turning to predation when they are caged, when they no longer have access to those tree barks. Oh, I see. Carnivores in the tropics may also suffer more uh, from stomach uh, nematodes while colder climates demand more fat. And then there's also this. This sort of opportunistic predation might be a learned behavior that spreads through local populations of squirrels. Oh, no, that's
0: interesting. Now, For example, in our recent episodes about urban evolution, Mm -hmm. we talked about how apparently learned behaviors can spread throughout populations of birds that live in an urban environment. Say like the example of um, the birds that learned how to open milk bottle tops that were being left on people's doorsteps, right? Right. Um, and, And the spread throughout the populations. And so you have to assume if birds can learn in that kind of way, squirrels probably can too. Except in this case, instead of opening milk bottle tops, it'd be, what, opening
1: a vole skull to get the brains. <laughs> Indeed. Now, there are key reasons, though, to eat live meat because uh, ultimately that's what we're talking about, praying to obtain live meat rather than depending on just scavenged and uh, uh, you know, meat and the, the flesh of the dead. So for one thing, reproductive females may need the protein and or certain minerals more than the rest. And there are reports of lactating females specifically engaging in this sort of predation behavior. Hmm. They might not be able to get the necessary calcium, phosphorus, sodium, and nitrogen from seeds alone. Another hypothesis, which is weirdly reflected in that story of the, the Russian dog-eating squirrels is that they may turn to meat to make up for seasonal depletion, such as during summer, or indeed some other reason for a lack of seeds. Okay, well, that would
0: sort of fit the story, but we're not saying that makes it likely that they actually did
1: take down an adult No, dog. no, no, yeah, but that is a, that's a, a grain of truth okay. there. Um, uh, but yeah, going back to that Russian uh, um, yeah, naturalist, he said, yeah, things would have to be pretty bad in the forest for this to happen. In a world. <laughs> so
0: so we've been talking about how squirrels definitely will eat things that are dead anyway sometimes they'll eat carrion why why go to predation why must you go beyond just eating the dead that you find? Why do you have to do all these risks and spend all this energy trying to kill something that's alive?
1: Oh, that, that's a great question. One I had and one, and one Callahan addressed uh, because he points out that, yes, carrion certainly packs the nutrients. Uh, and it's, uh, it's also not capable of uh, fight or flight. You don't have right. to worry about it fighting back. It's uh, a cheaper date. Right. But it also suffers from nutrient content depletion. Mm. On top of that, other better predators and seasoned scavengers may beat you to the best parts of the, you know, say, the the, the dead, uh, you know, rat. Plus, those specialized scavengers, well, they're probably better at dealing with the added bacteria. And uh, and you know what else uh, sucks about carrion? It might not be there when you need it. Uh, that's true. So in our, you know, sort of our, uh, you know, our our urban forest environments, uh, you know, or even our rural environments, uh, squirrels can sometimes be seen feasting on roadkill, which Callahan points out is an artificial uh, situation. It is very much a product of human technology Mm -hmm. that we have these dangerous roads uh, uh, for animals, animals get squished on them, and then squirrels are able to find meat there. And, of course, a lot of the meat is squirrel meat because they run out in front of our vehicles all the time.
0: So do they do they cannibalize carrion, squirrel carrion? Yes. But, okay, I'm just thinking about the body of a squirrel. I mean, as we were talking about earlier, a squirrel is not – has not been shaped by evolution as an effective predator, right? That its body just is not a powerful killing machine. So how, how does it
1: get this done? Well, you know, some of these, these prey animals that it goes after are essentially quasi-prey, like frogs, for example. Those are, and those are easy to explain. Like there's a frog. It's not getting away from this larger squirrel. The squirrel can eat it. But then there are the animals that are going to put up a fight or run from the squirrel potentially. And that's where we see the birds, the rodents, and the rabbits particular. Like these are all going to be more challenging prey. So many researchers believe that true predation by squirrels must be just a rare occurrence, only done in the case of emergency. Mm-hmm. But growing evidence, Callahan said, supported the idea that predation is a normal part of their behavior, though they are still opportunistic, not fundamental predators. Okay, so he's going so – you've got the idea that it's very rare like it only happens on
0: these bizarre freak occasions and then you've got the idea that they're evolved as fundamental predators and that's just part of their normal life. And he's going somewhere in between, right? Yeah,
1: he's like he, – he, yeah, I mean he's saying that for instance, yeah, raiding a, a nest when you can get a chance, that's one thing. Uh, if you kill a competitor and then you're like, well, I might as well eat part of them, get mm-hmm. a little energy boost, that's that's another thing. But but here we're talking about something uh, far more sinister. And I do have to warn everybody out there. If you want to retain your previous uh, false sense of security around squirrels uh, and their sort of cartoon innocence, then you should probably stop listening right now because (laughs) you cannot uh, unhear uh, the the hypothesis that I am about to uh, share with you. Lay it on me, Robert. All right, so he points, Callahan points out that it's a waste of energy to avoid a creature that doesn't threaten you. It's not surprising to see birds behave defensively towards squirrels. Their hunger is is likely seasonal. They're known nest raiders. But in other contexts, birds and other potential prey just ignore squirrels. And we see this all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you watch your bird feeder. But Callahan presents an interesting view on this and on the stalking behavior occasionally observed in tree squirrels. This is not uh, uh, nest robbing behavior, but is linked to infrequent attempts at larger prey. Attempts, mind you, and often aborted attempts, mere caricatures of stalking that Callahan finds rather conspicuous. He argues that it's possible that the effect of obvious repeated stalking is to habituate potential prey. In other words, it is conditioning prey animals to disregard their attacks. Whoa. So this would not be something we're saying that the squirrels are doing consciously,
0: but they've somehow instinctually – learned to like to, – to sort of feign attacks all the time to get it to where potential prey animals, larger prey animals are like, ah, whatever. It's just squirrels being squirrels. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean they're not, they're not doing it in a, in, a, in a conscious sense the same way that we would do our um, – you know, humans would stalk something. But, mm-hmm. they, but they are doing it in the uh, – uh, you know, via their evolved behavior. Uh, anyway, Callahan writes, if most squirrels acting like predators do not follow through – then prey should learn not to respond. This behavior is analogous to the hoarding of nuts in that the squirrel is hoarding prey confidence. Later, when normal food items are in short supply, the squirrel can exploit this conditioning. In the longer term, selection for such behavior potentially represents an entry point to a new feeding niche, particularly in marginal habitats where tree squirrels may be more likely to resort to predation. In other words, beware the squirrels.
0: I am never going to be able to see squirrels the same after this episode. Now, on the other hand, we don't like to demonize any type of animal here. And, of course, predation is part of nature. We don't want to demonize predation. But this is shocking. (laughs) I, I was not prepared for this. Squirrels, squirrels, eating dead things, killing things and eating them. I don't know. My mind was not ready.
1: Yeah, I uh I, I have to to say much the same. Again, we do we do say we do warn everyone, do not mistreat squirrels. Do not do not hurt the squirrels. Let the squirrels be. Mm-hmm. They will let you be. Squirrels are not going to actually hunt you. Yeah. Um and but, they're not
0: going to attack your dog, or right?
1: Something. Yeah, it's it's going to be fine. You're not really in danger from the squirrels. But I, I do have to say, it's made me rethink the mealworm thing. Like I feel I feel extra good about those squirrels eating the mealworms because I'm thinking I'm probably saving some bird eggs. Maybe I'm not. Maybe that's just just I'm just convincing myself this because I hate the idea of squirrels eating eating bird eggs. But if they need meat, then let me give them meat in the form of mealworms. That's all I'm saying.
0: Well, you could I, – I don't want to make you feel bad. You could also be artificially inflating local squirrel populations <laughs> yeah. such that if you ever stop feeding them, there will be a massacre in the oaks. That's right. The trees will rain <laughs> blood from above. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Speaking of that, though, has there ever been a squirrel horror movie? I've never I've never heard of one.
1: Uh, Well, you know, I looked around on this uh, question and there is a 2014 horror movie called Squirrels. But it sounds it looks like it might be a little bit in the the Sharknado territory where it's a little bit too Uh self-aware to be my kind of horror film. Uh, That's a bummer. But the the better horror movie mascot uh, for this episode would probably be uh, uh, Tromi, the radioactive squirrel from 1991's Class of Nukem High 2 sub- humanoid meltdown uh he's also in the third film you know i never made it to the class of newcomb high sequels <laughs> how do they hold up I, I have not seen the sequels either but I, I i i'd had to look up a clip of this uh this radioactive giant squirrel rampaging and knocking over uh, cooling towers it, it it is worth checking out but you'll definitely want to see class of Nukem high one first you know for you know uh, it's the purity and continuity of the of the saga All right, on that note, we're going to take one more break, and then we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride.
0: Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this.
1: Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
2: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: All right, we're back. So we've been talking about opportunistic uh, carrion eating and predation in squirrels. But I wanted to mention another less dramatic, less violent way, but still kind of weird and shocking way that squirrels are opportunistic uh, feeders. So let's turn our eye to the red squirrel. We mentioned red squirrels earlier and some cases where red squirrels might be eating some dead animals, might be eating dead dogs or dead foxes or something like that, but – The red squirrel, Tamiasciurus hudsonicus, uh, like other squirrels, they often try to survive through winter by building up stores of food items that are called mast. And mast is just all the edible fruits of the trees of the forest. It's acorns, pine cones, nuts, and so forth. And in the summer and fall, squirrels collect mast and store it in these caches to eat throughout the winter – And trying to survive by storing food for the winter is sometimes a dangerous strategy. You can have an unexpectedly warm winter that can cause your food stores to spoil, or caches can sometimes be discovered by other animals. They're vulnerable to theft and opportunistic scavenging. And maybe most importantly, not every warm season offers the same kind of harvest. Trees in the forest actually tend to produce greater and lesser quantities of mast on multi-year cycles. So if you're a red squirrel and it's an off year where the harvests provided by the forest were very low or something else happened, what can you do? What happens if your supplies run low while it's still winter and you need some calories?
1: Oh, I guess you can hope that tourists come by and feed you snack bars, but that's probably not a good uh, – not something you can bank on.
0: Right. You can't bank on tourists. You can't bank on vole brains. You might not be able to come, come across any of those. Uh, so what the red squirrel does it's, – it's, so the red squirrel is common throughout the United States and Canada, and it has this cool survival technique. In a book called Winter World, The Ingenuity of Animal Survival uh, – Uh, The University of Vermont biologist and nature writer Bernd Heinrich has written about this strategy, and what they do is they make tree candy. The red squirrel will find a sugar maple tree – And it will make incisions in the bark of the tree with its front teeth. And this allows sap to drain out from the inside of the tree. And then after the sap runs out, its water content evaporates and it dries in the sun. And this leaves a sweet sugary residue on the outside of the tree that the squirrel can return and lick like a maple syrup lollipop to get some sugar in its system. There are lots of videos of this happening. Some of the videos seem to show squirrels licking trees other than maples. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, they're licking trees and
1: it's pretty sick. It looks weird. Oh, well, I don't know. This sounds like a refreshing dose of just cute behavior after (laughs) the the, the brain eating uh, and and the stalking that we just uh, got through. So – I'm, I'm all for them eating maple candy of their own construction.
0: I wish I could have seen this without having read about it first so I could just wonder what's going on. <laughs> Did you see them biting holes in trees and then coming back and just licking tree trunks to death? But I guess maybe we should get back into more violent territory. Let's do it. OK. So you mentioned earlier you, you gave this list of animals – Uh, from that paper that squirrels will sometimes prey on or get into battle with. And one of the animals you mentioned was the snake, the serpent. So I want to talk about one particular squirrel-snake relationship that is not uh, so rare or infrequent or alleged, but instead is a well-known evolutionary war spanning millions of years that has given birth to some amazing squirrel martial arts and battle tactics. (laughs) So the squirrel in question is the common California ground squirrel, Otospermophilus bichei, And it's found throughout the western region of North America, including California, Oregon, Washington, and the Baja Peninsula of Mexico. And this utterly mundane squirrel faces a plenty of natural predators, including rattlesnakes like the northern Pacific rattlesnakes, Crotalus viridis oreganus. By some accounts, the squirrels make up about 70 percent of the Western rattlesnakes' diets. And for years now, scientists, especially at the University of California, Davis, have been discovering more and more of these ingenious, highly adapted anti-predation techniques that the squirrels use to their advantage in the Great War against the serpents of the West. All right. Well, what are these techniques? Well, some are pretty straightforward. For example, research has found that adult ground squirrels inhabiting areas with greater rattlesnake populations have evolved a greater natural resistance to rattlesnake venom. And you can see this is an evolved trait because meanwhile, squirrels in areas with few or no rattlesnakes have lost this resistance, tends to go away. But sometimes California ground squirrels tend to go on offense against rattlesnakes, displaying aggressive behavior and harassing the snakes to keep them away from their young. Sometimes they'll go bipedal and they whip their tails back and forth in the air in this display that's known as flagging and they'll kick sand at the snake and so forth. And sometimes this aggressive display can discourage or scare off a predatory rattler. And sometimes the squirrels even attack the snake and bite it. There are videos of this oh, wow. you can look up as well. Or It's just like a standoff between a squirrel and a, and a snake. And the squirrel is the attacker. It keeps
1: biting the snake on the spine. Oh, wow. So not, even, not just going after um, you know, an, an, another omnivore or herbivore, but going after uh, a, a, a predatory reptile here.
0: Yeah, and you might think, wait a minute, how could a squirrel win in a standoff with a snake? Wouldn't that be suicide? It depends on the circumstances of the confrontation. Sometimes, yes. But remember that the adult ground squirrels in the snake-heavy regions tend to have this resistance to snake venom. And also, the adult squirrels are generally not prime prey for the snakes. Juvenile squirrels are, are the much more vulnerable ones. They're the ones the snakes want. And snakes are less likely to try to prey on adults because they can put up more of a fight. More than that, some snakes are simply much more dangerous than others. For example, in a paper by uh, Swaysgood, Rowe, and Owings called Anti-Predator Responses of California Ground Squirrels to Rattlesnakes and Rattling Sounds, The Roles of Sex, Reproductive Parity, and Offspring Age and Assessment and Decision-Making Rules from 2003, uh, specifically they found that, quote, larger, warmer snakes are more dangerous than smaller, colder snakes. Uh, So that might be kind of useful. But then again, how do you know what kind of snake you're dealing with? You can't look at a snake and say, well, that snake is warmer than the other one. Apparently, what the squirrels do is they listen to the rattle. Mm. So if you rear up on two legs and you dance around aggressively and flag your tail and generally harass a rattlesnake, it'll probably be rattling at you, right? And if you listen to the sonic characteristics of the rattle, you can actually tell the difference between the rattle sound produced by big, warm killer snakes and the rattle sound produced by small, cold, less threatening snakes.
1: Oh, it's, it's, uh, it gives you a clue or it gives a squirrel a clue as to how, uh, how fast this snake would be uh, if it starts uh, uh, coming after them.
0: Yeah, and so they they investigated this by – they had a little study where they would play back rattle sounds from different types of snakes. And sure enough, squirrels treated rattle sounds from bigger, warmer snakes as a greater threat and were less likely to approach the playback speaker. Uh, It almost feels like something out of Sun Tzu, right? You know, kind of like provoke and observe. You get your enemy to reveal their strength through the sound of their rattle and you judge how to engage and they can tell from that sound how strong their enemy is.
1: It also – this also is, is very uh, reminiscent of that stalking behavior we previously discussed, you know? Just sort of be there, be a little obnoxious in your presence and uh, then use that intel to your advantage.
0: Yeah. But some of their other tactics, the same squirrel, it, it just gets brilliant. So I want to talk about rattlesnake baths.
1: Oh, yeah. I think I, I read about this in Goop magazine. This is for your skin uh, tone, right?
0: Right. You melt 50 rattlesnakes and get into the <laughs> bathtub with your special pumice stone. Uh, no, 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 no. This, this is for squirrels, not for humans. So rattlesnakes generally have poor vision. And one of the key senses they rely on for hunting is scent. So snakes can smell with their nostrils, but they have a much more keen sense of smell, not through their nostrils, but through a region in the roof of their mouth called the Jacobson's organ. Ah,
1: this is where the the flicking tongue uh, then connects with the the roof of their mouth, yes.
0: Exactly right. So when you see a snake flicking out its forked tongue – that snake is sniffing the air. The flicks of the tongue collect information, which are volatile, scent-carrying compounds in the air. And they bring those compounds back into the mouth to mix with oral fluids and then get taken through ducts in the roof of the mouth to the Jacobson's organ. Uh, side note, there's apparently some amount of controversy about whether humans have a functioning Jacobson's organ. Like it looks like we've got some kind of tiny analogous structure, mm-hmm. probably non nonfunctional. And that might be worth a deeper look someday. Um, But anyway, snakes use this smelling apparatus to locate prey by smell. So, if you're a squirrel that this snake would like to eat, what do you do? You can run, you can hide, but you can't stop emitting volatile compounds. You're always going to be putting up these molecules that this relentless predator can track through the air. So, the California ground squirrel has this wonderful adapted behavior it takes a snake bath. Snakes periodically have to shed their skin in order to allow their bodies to grow and remove external parasites. And when one of these squirrels comes across a snake skin discarded in the, on the ground, it begins to set to work. So first it takes bites out of the skin and chews it up into a snakeskin mush ball in its mouth – And then it spits the mush ball out on itself and smears the snakeskin poultice around in its fur. And then it keeps doing this until it smells more of snake than of squirrel. And these animals have also been seen smearing snakeskin mush under their young to protect them as well. Hmm. If a snakeskin is not available, sometimes they will pick up the snake scent by rubbing themselves in the soil from places where rattlesnakes have been resting. And apparently the North American rock squirrel has been observed doing the same thing. Clever girl. One last crazy anti-snake adaptation. In addition to their sense of smell, rattlesnakes use heat-sensing organs, right, called pit organs in their faces to hunt down by detecting body warmth. So the snake lives in a world of smell and heat. And if the squirrels have a smell-based defense, do they also have a heat-based defense? You betcha that this is true. Researchers, including Aaron S. Rundus, discovered in the 2000s that California ground squirrels threatened by rattlesnakes turn their tails into this weird kind of beacon of heat energy. It's a whipping heat element. So Rundis claimed at an animal behavior conference in Mexico in 2004 that the squirrels apparently do this by getting the fur on their tails to stand straight up, which allows more of the underlying skin to be exposed to the air and dilates the blood vessels under the skin, causing the skin to broadcast more heat in the form of infrared radiation. And further research on these initial observations involved
1: creating a robot squirrel, did you ever think science would take us here, Robert? A robot squirrel? No, I have, to, I have to say it seems like they're. you would expect robot mice. You would expect robot snakes. Uh, and I've seen both of these, but I've never contemplated the robot squirrel.
2: Well,
0: I I like the swimming robots, you know. There are a mm-hmm. lot of good robot animals out there, but uh, I, I'd never heard of robot squirrel before this. But – Sometimes you got to tweak different independent variables. Sometimes you need to make a robot squirrel. So that's what they did. Uh, And I want to mention one study from Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2007. This is Rundus, Owings, Yoshi, Chin, and Giannini called Ground Squirrels Use Infrared Signal to Deter Rattlesnake Predation. So in animal trials, Rundus and co-authors found that, quote, California ground squirrels add an infrared component to their snake-directed tail-flagging signals when confronting infrared-sensitive rattlesnakes, but tail but tail-flag without augmenting infrared emission when confronting infrared-insensitive gopher snakes. So this means they can tell the difference between different kinds of potential predators: uh, the kind that that sense heat got a hot tail, and the kind that do not sense heat got a cold tail. <laughs> And here's where the robot squirrel comes in. They, they built a robot squirrel that could whip its tail with or without tail heating at the same time. And what they found was, quote, when the infrared component was added to the tail flagging display of the robotic squirrels, rattlesnakes exhibited a greater shift from predatory to defensive behavior than during controlled trials in which tail flagging included no infrared component. So when you go at a heat-sensitive snake with a hot tail wagging around in the air, for some reason, the snake is more likely to back down. And so to answer that question, research with rattlers and with this robot, which is of course known as the robo-squirrel, that has been ongoing more recently. But there there is video of the robot squirrel online. We've referred you to several video-type searches. You can look up robo-squirrel and it's worth seeing – it's, it's pretty good. It's like on a rack. So it'll like rack forward toward the snake and then its tail will whip back and forth. And if they heat it up, the rattler just kind of sits there. But if they don't, when the squirrel tries to retreat, the snake will lunge at it. Huh?
1: Yes. Do check out that video if you get a chance.
0: I gotta say, I am in general quite impressed with the California ground squirrel. It's a machine.
1: Yes, it, it The non-robot version is a machine. <laughs> it is. Um, it, and generally, uh, here at the end of this episode, uh, I, I am just really impressed by the abilities and the the viciousness that we find in the kingdom of the skugs, the uh, <laughs> these 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 squirrels, these tree rats that we. We've just so often taken uh, for granted. You know,
0: one thing I wanted to return to, if you don't mind, is I've been shocked by the the behavior of squirrels that we mm-hmm. learned about in this episode. But I'm also shocked by Benjamin Franklin <laughs> because his, his elegy for, for Mungo the Skug – uh, is very anti-freedom and pro-security. Did you notice <laughs> that vein in
1: it? I didn't really pick up on that. No, I, I guess I was just more focused on the the cage squirrel without really thinking about the, the, the political implications.
0: Well, he says, again, "...learn hints ye who blindly wish more liberty, whether subjects, sons, squirrels, or daughters, that apparent restraint may be real protection, yielding peace, plenty, and security." That seems to really go against that Benjamin Franklin quote where he says, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. That's one of the – you know, one of those great Mm -hmm. uh, American pro-freedom quotes. But I looked that up to see what's the deal with – did he really mean that? Weirdly enough – Unfortunately, that's one of those quotes where the warped out-of-context misunderstanding of the quote is actually a lot more profound and good than the original meaning. Hmm. The original meaning of that quote hinges a lot more on the idea of, quote, a little temporary safety. He was like writing against people who were putting in place sort of temporary inadequate security measures.
1: (laughs) Yeah, interesting.
0: I like the misunderstood version better.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it is a more pleasant thought for sure. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, First part of our two part exploration of just general squirrel weirdness and savagery. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed this introduction, reintroduction to the world of the scugs, uh, And I hope that you will tune in next time as we continue.
0: Let us leave you with one more thought at the end, though. Do not take this as license to mistreat squirrels. Just because they may eat carrion, just because they may want a vole brain now and then, that doesn't make them the bad guys of the animal kingdom. We encourage you instead to look on them with awe and wonder.
1: Yeah, I think actually squirrels are more entertaining to me now because I know what they're really about. I know what they're up to. All right. Well, you can check out uh, all the other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is the mothership. That is where you will find uh, uh, all those episodes. You'll find links out to our various social media accounts. At the top of the page, you'll also find our store button. Yes, you can go to our store. You can buy T-shirts, stickers, coffee mugs, tote bags, you name it featuring our brand new swanky logo, a few variations of that logo, some without any text at all. You can do what I like to do and just have some sort of perplexing glyph uh, you know, on your uh, your sticker or your, your shirt and just let other people ask you about it or figure it out on their own.
0: And we're going to be adding more designs as, uh, as the days go on. We just recently added one that was a reference to a, a movie Robert and I talked about wishing existed in our Black mm-hmm. Holes episode, The Sphere Catastrophique.
1: Yes, you're sort of, what, 19 19- would you say 60s 50s yeah 60s yeah 1960s horror movie about a black hole Uh a french horror movie well now you can see what that poster might look like uh, on this uh, this t-shirt or sticker or notepad or t- tote bag, a throw pillow, you you name it. You can get it on anything. Uh, there's also a bicameral mind shirt on there that uh, some folks are really digging. Merch so, up. Yeah, merch up. And it's a great way to support the show. Another way to support the show without spending a dime is to simply rate and review us wherever you have the ability to do so. So true. Huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio producers,
0: Alex Williams and Tari Harrison. If you would like to get in touch with us to let us know feedback on this episode or any other, or to uh, suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hi, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. WORK.